Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Hello, listeners. I'm Patrick Beeman, founder of the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm here today with a question from... Elsevier's clinical key. A 68-year-old male presents to his physician with a chief complaint of a rash on his face. He began noticing a burning and tingling sensation in the affected area two days prior to the appearance of the rash. On physical examination, there is a vesicular rash on the left side of the forehead, including the upper eyelid. The remainder of his physical exam is normal. A Ciclovir is prescribed to treat the condition. Which of the following is indicated as an additional step in the management of this patient? Is it A, emergent CT scan of the head, B, Foscarnet, C, oral prednisone, or D, referral to an ophthalmologist? And the correct answer here is D, referral to an ophthalmologist. After primary infection, the varicella of zoster virus remains latent in the dorsal spinal ganglia until many years later, where it may become reactivated as an acute neuritis. A common nerve involved in the ophthalmic division, second division of the trigeminal nerve, which is cranial nerve 5, 2, which may result in long-term sequelae such as keratitis and retinal necrosis and eventually blindness. A rash involving the side and tip of the nose, which is Hutchinson's sign, suggests ocular infection requiring early ophthalmology consultation. The other answer choices, A was an emergent CT scan of the head. So herpes zoster can cause encephalitis, and it may be either diffuse or focal, manifesting with alterations in mental status, fever, and headache. Some patients may also present with a stroke secondary to CNS system vasculitis weeks after the rash occurs. Unless these symptoms are seen, however, imaging is not necessary. Choice B, Foscarnet. So this is a drug used in the treatment of CMV infection, not varicella zoster. Finally, choice C was oral prednisone. There's no indication for the treatment of zoster with corticosteroids. In fact, this may actually make the condition worse. So. In summary, varicella zoster causes chicken box and shingles, lies dormant in nerve root ganglia, and can reactivate later, leading to cutaneous finding. 
Herpes zoster ophthalmicus refers to ocular disease caused by reactivation of VZV. Patients with ocular findings of shingles require ophthalmology evaluation to assess for serious ocular complications, especially those which may lead to blindness. And now, back to today's episode of Step 2 Secrets, an Inside the Boards podcast. This is Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition, and this is the ophthalmology chapter. Question 1. What is the hallmark of conjunctivitis? Hyperemia of the conjunctival vessels. Question 2. Distinguish allergic, viral, and bacterial conjunctivitis. In allergic conjunctivitis, signs and symptoms are itching, bilateral, seasonal, and long duration. Treatment is vasoconstrictors or topical antihistamines or mast cell stabilizers. Viral, the number one cause of which is adenovirus. Signs and symptoms include preauricular adenopathy. It's highly contagious, so look for affected contacts. And clear, watery discharge. Treatment is supportive, with hand washing to prevent spread. In bacterial conjunctivitis, signs and symptoms, purulent discharge, and it's classically seen in neonates. Treatment is topical antibiotics, plus or minus systemic antibiotics, depending on the cause. Question 3. What are three common causes of neonatal conjunctivitis? Chemical, Neisseria gonorrhea, and Chlamydia trachomatis. Question 4. What causes chemical conjunctivitis? How do you recognize it? Silver nitrate or erythromycin drops, which are given to all newborns to prevent gonorrhea conjunctivitis, can cause chemical conjunctivitis. The drops may cause a chemical conjunctivitis with no purulent discharge that appears within 12 hours of instilling the drops and resolves within 48 hours. Chemical conjunctivitis is always the best guess if the conjunctivitis develops in the first 24 hours. Question 5. How can you distinguish gonorrheal from chlamydial conjunctivitis? In cases of suspected gonorrheal conjunctivitis, look for symptoms of gonorrhea in the mother. The infant has an extremely purulent discharge starting between 2 and 5 days after birth. Infants who are given prophylactic drops should not develop gonorrheal conjunctivitis. Treatment involves systemic ceftriaxone or cefotaxime. In cases of chlamydial conjunctivitis, the mother often reports no symptoms. The infant has mild to severe conjunctivitis beginning between 5 and 14 days after birth. Oral erythromycin is recommended for chlamydial conjunctivitis or pneumonia. Topical therapy for chlamydial conjunctivitis is not effective. Question 6. If you forget everything else about neonatal conjunctivitis, what point should you remember to help you distinguish among the three discussed causes, the varying time frames during which they present? Question 7. True or false? Conjunctivitis frequently causes loss of vision. False. Other than transient blurriness, due to tear film debris that resolves with blinking, conjunctivitis should not affect vision. If vision is affected, think of other, more serious conditions. Question 8. Define glaucoma. What are the risk factors for developing it? What are the two general types? 
Glaucoma is best thought of as ocular hypertension, or elevated intraocular pressure, measured with a tonometer. Effects of glaucoma include visual field defects and blindness. The risk factors are age over 40, black race, and positive family history. The two main types are open-angle and closed-angle glaucoma. Question 9. Describe physical findings of open-angle glaucoma. How common is it? How is it treated? Open-angle glaucoma causes 90% of the cases of glaucoma. It is painless and does not have acute attacks. The only signs are elevated intraocular pressure, usually 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury, a gradually progressive visual field loss, and optic nerve damage, increased cup-to-disc ratio on fundoscopic exam. Treatment may involve several different classes of medications, including beta blockers, prostaglandins, alpha-adrenergic agonists, carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, and cholinergic agonists, as well as laser therapy and surgery. Question 10. How does closed-angle glaucoma present? What should you do if you recognize it? Closed-angle glaucoma presents with sudden ocular pain, seeing halos around lights, red eye, high intraocular pressure, over 30 millimeters of mercury, nausea and vomiting, sudden decreased vision, and a fixed mid-dilated pupil. It is an ophthalmologic emergency. Treat the patient immediately with pilocarpine, timolol, brimonidine, and or acetazolamide to break the attack. If these therapies fail, you can consider IV mannitol or oral glycerin. Definitive surgery, peripheral iridectomy, is used to prevent further attacks. In rare cases, anticholinergic medications can trigger an attack of closed-angle glaucoma in a susceptible, previously untreated patient. Medications do not cause acute attacks in patients with open-angle glaucoma or in patients with surgically treated closed-angle glaucoma. Question 11. How do steroids affect the eye? Steroids, whether topical or systemic, can cause glaucoma and cataracts. Topical ocular steroids can worsen ocular herpes and fungal infections. For step two, do not give topical ocular steroids, especially if the patient has a dendritic corneal ulcer that stains green by fluorescein. Such an ulcer represents herpes. Question 12. Define ultraviolet keratitis. How is it treated? Excessive exposure to ultraviolet light can cause keratitis, corneal inflammation, with pain, a foreign body sensation, red eye, tearing, and temporarily decreased vision. Patients have a history of welding, using a tanning bed or sun lamp, or snow skiing, snow blindness. Treat with an eye patch for 24 hours and a topical antibiotic. You can reduce pain with an anticholinergic eye drop that causes paralysis of the ciliary muscle, called psychoplegia. Question 13. What pediatric rheumatologic condition is commonly associated with uveitis? Juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, especially the posse articular form. Patients with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis need periodic ophthalmologic examination to check for uveitis.
Question 14. What is the most common cause of painless, slowly progressive loss of vision? Cataracts, especially in the elderly. Treatment is surgical removal of the affected lens and replacement with an artificial lens. Question 15. What should cataracts in a neonate suggest? Cataracts in a neonate may indicate torch infection or an inherited metabolic disorder. The classic example is galactosemia. Question 16. What changes in the retina and fundus are seen in diabetes and hypertension? Diabetes is associated with dot blot hemorrhages, microaneurysms, and neovascularization of the retina. Hypertension is associated with arteriolar narrowing, copper-silver wiring, and cotton wool spots. Papilledema may be seen with severe hypertension and should alert you to the presence of a hypertensive emergency. Question 17. What is the most common cause of blindness in patients under and over the age of 55? What is the most common cause of blindness in black patients? Diabetes is the number one cause of blindness in younger adults in the United States, and senile macular degeneration, look for macular drusen, is the most common cause of blindness in adults over age 55. Glaucoma is the number one cause of blindness in blacks of any age and the third overall cause of blindness in the United States. Question 18. Define proliferative diabetic retinopathy. How is it treated? How is non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy treated? Proliferative diabetic retinopathy occurs after many years of established diabetes and is defined by the development of neovascularization, new abnormal growth of vessels in the retina. Treatment involves applications of a laser beam to the periphery of the entire retina, called panretinal photocoagulation. Surgical or medical vitrectomy is used in some cases. Medical therapy for proliferative diabetic retinopathy is investigational, but is used in some circumstances. The most prominent, promising are the vascular endothelial growth factors inhibitors, bevacizumab, ranibizumab, and pegactinib. Focal laser treatment and anti-VEGF is common for non-proliferative retinopathy when macular edema is present. The laser is applied only to the affected area. In severe cases, panretinal photocoagulation may be used. Otherwise, non-proliferative retinopathy is treated supportively, primarily with tight control of blood glucose and follow-up eye exams to watch for development of macular edema or neovascularization. Question 19. Distinguish between preorbital and orbital cellulitis. Both conditions may present with swollen lids, fever, a history of facial laceration, trauma, insect bite, or sinusitis, as well as chemosis, which is edema of the conjunctiva. Oral cellulitis can mimic preorbital cellulitis early in its course. However, if ophthalmoplegia, proptosis, severe eye pain, double vision, decreased eye movements, or decreased visual acuity is present, the patient has orbital cellulitis. Orbital cellulitis is an ophthalmologic emergency because it may extend into the skull, causing meningitis, venous thromboses, 
and or blindness. Question 20. What are the common bacterial causes of preorbital and orbital cellulitis? How are they treated? The most common bugs in both are Streptococcus pneumoniae, Haemophilus influenza type B, and Staphylococcus aureus or Streptococcal species in patients with a history of trauma. Treat either condition with blood cultures and administration of broad-spectrum intravenous antibiotics until culture results are known. A typical regimen for preorbital cellulitis is monotherapy with clindamycin or combination therapy with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole plus either amoxicillin or amoxicillin clavulanic acid or cefpidoxime or ceftonir. A typical regimen for orbital cellulitis is vancomycin plus either ceftriaxone or cefotaxime or ampicillin sulbactam or piperacillin tazobactam. Although preorbital cellulitis may be treated on an outpatient basis with close follow-up, orbital cellulitis requires hospital admission and intravenous antibiotics. Question 21. What is the key to managing chemical burns to the eye? Which is worse, acid or alkaline burns? With chemical burns to the eye, either acid or alkaline, the key to management is copious irrigation with the closest source of water. The longer you wait, the worse the prognosis. Do not wait to get additional history. Alkali burns have a worse prognosis because they go through liquefactive necrosis and tend to penetrate more deeply into the eye. Question 22. Distinguish between a hordeolum, sty, and a chalazion. How are they treated? A hordeolum is a painful red lump near the lid margin. A chalazion is a painless lump away from the lid margin. Treat both with warm compresses. For chalazions, use intralesional steroid injection or incision and drainage if warm compresses do not work. Question 23. How do you recognize and treat herpes simplex keratitis? Herpes simplex keratitis usually begins with conjunctivitis and vesicular lid eruption, then progresses to the classic dendritic keratitis, which is seen with a fluorescein stain. Treat with topical antivirals, for example, idoxuridine or trifluoridine. Corticosteroids are generally contraindicated with dendritic keratitis because they may make the condition worse. Question 24. What findings suggest an ophthalmic herpes zoster infection? Ophthalmic herpes zoster infections should be suspected in patients with involvement of the tip of the nose, Hutchinson sign, and or medial eyelid, a typical zoster dermatomal skin rash, and eye complaints. Treat with oral acyclovir. Complications can include loss of vision, uveitis, keratitis, and glaucoma. Question 25. How do you recognize a central retinal artery occlusion? What causes it? Central retinal artery occlusion presents with sudden, within a few minutes, painless, unilateral loss of vision. The classical fundoscopic appearance includes a pale, opaque fundus with a cherry red spot in the fovea, the center, of the macula. The most common cause is emboli from carotid plaque or the heart but watch for temporal arteritis as a cause on step two. 
no satisfactory treatment is available. However, treatment options include ocular massage, timolol, hyperventilation, and surgical therapies. Question 26. Describe the symptoms of temporal arteritis, giant cell arteritis. What should you do if you suspect it? Temporal arteritis is a vasculitis seen in individuals over 50 years of age. Symptoms include jaw claudication, unilateral headache, loss of vision due to central retinal artery occlusion, torturous temporal artery as seen or palpated on exam, marked elevation of the ESR or and coexisting polymyalgia rheumatica. In 50%, it causes proximal muscle pain and stiffness. If temporal arteritis is suspected in the setting of vision complaints, administer corticosteroids immediately before confirming the diagnosis with a temporal artery biopsy. Withholding treatment until a formal diagnosis can be made may cause the patient to lose vision in the other eye. Question 27. How do you recognize central retinal vein occlusion? Describe the cause and treatment. Central retinal vein occlusion also presents with sudden, within a few hours, painless unilateral loss of vision. The classic fundoscopic appearance includes distended, tortuous retinal veins, retinal hemorrhages, cotton wool exudates, and a congested edematous fundus. No satisfactory treatment is available. The most common causes are hypertension, diabetes, glaucoma, and increased blood viscosity, such as in leukemia. Complications are related to neovascularization, which commonly develops and leads to vision loss and glaucoma. Question 28. Describe the classic history of a patient with retinal detachment. The classic history of a patient with retinal detachment includes a sudden, instant, painless, unilateral loss of vision with floaters, little black spots that are seen no matter where the patient looks, as well as flashes of light. It is sometimes described as a curtain or veil coming down in front of my eye. This history should prompt immediate referral to an ophthalmologist. On exam, you may see a gray, elevated retina. Risk factors include trauma, diabetes, and cataract surgery. Surgery may save the patient's vision by reattaching the retina. Question 29. True or false? Cataracts and macular degeneration are common causes of bilateral, painless loss of vision in the elderly. True. Although one side may be worse than the other, bilateral complaints are not uncommon. The red reflex typically becomes black with a significant cataract. Those with macular degeneration typically have focal yellow-white deposits called drusen in and around the macula on fundoscopic exam. Treat cataracts with surgery. Most cases of macular degeneration are the dry or non-exudative subtype, which is treated supportively, for example, with magnification aids. Wet or exudative macular degeneration is treated with intravenous VEGF inhibitors, thermal laser photocoagulation in selected patients, and photodynamic therapy. Question 30. How do optic neuritis and papillitis present? What are the common causes? Optic neuritis and papillitis typically present with a fairly quick, over hours to days, 
painful unilateral or bilateral loss of vision. The pain is exacerbated with eye movements. Patients with optic neuritis will fail a red desaturation test and see red objects as pink or lighter red. The optic disc margins may appear blurred on fundoscopic exam with papillitis, just as in papilledema. Multiple sclerosis, which can cause internuclear ophthalmoplegia, is a very common cause of optic neuritis, especially in 20 to 40-year-old women. Lyme disease, malignancy, and syphilis are other causes. Question 31. What causes bitemporal hemianopsia until proven otherwise? A pituitary tumor or other neoplasm pressing on the optic chiasm. Question 32. Use the visual field defect to localize the site of the brain lesion. This brings us back to the old classic visual field defect image, which is figure 27.3 in the book. The visual field defect of right anopsia or monocular blindness. The location of the lesion is the right optic nerve. In bitemporal hemianopsia, the location of the lesion is the optic chiasm. In left homonymous hemianopsia, the location of the lesion is the right optic tract. In left upper quadrant anopsia, the location of the lesion is right optic radiations in the right temporal lobe. In left lower quadrant anopsia, the location of the lesion is the right optic radiations in the right parietal lobe. And in left homonymous hemianopsia with macular sparing, the location of the lesion is the right occipital lobe from posterior cerebral artery occlusion. Question 33. What two diseases commonly cause isolated palsies of cranial nerves 3, 4, and 6? How do you recognize them? Isolated palsies of cranial nerve 3, 4, and 6 are usually due to vascular complications from diabetes and hypertension. Symptoms generally resolve on their own within two months. In patients, in patients over the age of 40 with a history of diabetes or hypertension and no other neurologic deficits or pain, observation is generally all that is required because hypertension and or diabetes is the most likely cause. If resolution does not occur within eight weeks, if the patient is under the age of 40, if neither hypertension nor diabetes is present, if the pupil is dilated and unreactive, or if the patient starts to develop pain or other neurologic deficits, order an MRI of the head to rule out tumor or aneurysm because a benign cause is less likely in these cases. Question 34. What are the typical exam findings of a third cranial nerve palsy. What should you remember when trying to determine the cause? With an oculomotor cranial nerve 3 lesion, the eye is down and out, and the patient can move the eye only laterally. If a third cranial nerve palsy is due to benign vascular causes, that is, hypertension or diabetes, the pupil is normal, and close observation is all that is needed, as the condition typically resolves on its own in several weeks. A blown Dilated, non-reactive pupil is a medical emergency. The most likely cause is an aneurysm or tumor. Order an MRI and or a cerebral angiogram. Question 35. What are the physical findings in palsies of cranial nerves 4 and 6? How do lesions of cranial nerves 5 and 7 affect the eye? 
with a trochlear cranial nerve 4 lesion, the affected eye cannot look down when the gaze is medial because of superior oblique muscle paralysis. With an abducens cranial nerve 6 lesion, the patient cannot look laterally with the affected eye because the lateral rectus muscle is paralyzed. Cranial nerves 5, the afferent sensory limb, and 7, the efferent motor limb, are involved in the corneal blink reflex. Lesions can produce corneal drying, which can be treated with saline eye drops. Question 36. What is strabismus? Beyond what age is it abnormal in children? Strabismus is a medical term for a lazy eye. The affected eye deviates, most commonly inward. Strabismus is normally only if intermittent and during the first three months of life. When strabismus is constant or persistent beyond three months, it requires ophthalmologic referral to prevent blindness, known as amblyopia, in the affected eye. Question 37. Why does blindness develop in patients with strabismus? The visual system is still developing until the age of seven or eight years. For this reason, visual screening of both eyes is important in children. If one eye does not see well or is turned outward, the brain cannot fuse the two different images that it sees. Thus, it suppresses the bad eye, which does not develop the proper neural connections. This eye will never see well and cannot be corrected with glasses because the problem is neural rather than refractive. This condition is called amblyopia and is treatable with special glasses, eye patching, or surgery if it is caught in time. The goal of treatment is to allow normal neural connections and thus vision to develop. Question 38. What is presbyopia? When does it occur? Presbyopia is a loss of the lens's ability to accommodate. It is why aging adults need reading glasses for near vision. Presbyopia occurs between the ages of 40 and 50 years and is a normal part of aging. Question 39. What is a pterygium? How is it treated? Pterygium is a fleshy, benign growth that begins at the nasal edge of the conjunctiva and can extend over the cornea. It usually is caused by irritation, such as ultraviolet light or dust. It typically is not treated until it causes visual disturbance and is treated by surgical removal. Question 40. What is trachoma? What organism causes it? Trachoma is the most common cause of infectious blindness worldwide. Patients have conjunctivitis-like symptoms with conjunctival follicles that look like white lumps on the inner upper eyelid. Trachoma is caused by chlamydial trachomatis and is spread by direct contact and fomites. Treat with oral and topical antibiotics. Oral antibiotics include azithromycin and topical includes tetracycline. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. 
I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.